This episode of the Talking 306 Podcast is brought to you by the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is the only place to find local, original Saskatchewan podcasts and find them all in one place. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network has over 30 podcasts with themes including interviews, horror movies, the Rough Riders and the CFL, Saskatchewan's craft beer scene, music, hockey, technology, parenting, and more. Visit saskpodcastnetwork.com to learn more about the Saskatchewan Podcast Network and follow along on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Saskatchewan Podcast Network. That's saskpodcastnetwork.com or follow on Facebook and Instagram. Speaking of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network, it's supported by Connexus Credit Union. Connexus has a new podcast that I'd like everybody to check out, the What Connexus Podcast. Hosted by Mason Gardner, What Connects Us is a podcast featuring people in Saskatchewan that explores human connection, meaningful conversation, and the role that money plays in our hopes, dreams, and fears. There's now six episodes of What Connects Us, and the most recent episode features Dan Clark, star offensive lineman for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You can subscribe and listen to What Connects Us for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again to Connexus for supporting the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. Finally, thanks to Path Cowork for sponsoring this podcast, the Talking 306 Podcast. Path Cowork is above and beyond the best co-working space in Saskatchewan, and I'm very proud to be a member at Path, and I absolutely love working there. The COVID-19 pandemic has made many people rethink how and where they work. If you're reconsidering renting a, a dreary office space where you don't see anybody all day, please check out Path Cowork. With a great common area, meeting rooms and spaces, and of course the free beer and coffee, Path Cowork is for sure one of the best new ways to work in Saskatchewan. Check out pathcowork.ca for membership rates and more details. That's pathcowork.ca. Welcome to the Talking 306 Podcast, part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. I'm the host, Dale Richardson. On this episode of the podcast, my guest is Lisa Tomitis. Lisa Tomitis is the head coach of the national champion University of Saskatchewan women's basketball team and the head coach of the Canadian women's national basketball team. I spoke with Coach Tomitis over Zoom last week about her life and career including her family's history and her father's life growing up in Greece, the classic story of how her parents met each other, her life growing up in Dundas, Ontario, her own success playing high school, university, and professional basketball, how a career-ending injury led to her coaching career, early struggles and what turned around the U of S Huskies women's basketball team, leadership and coaching other coaches, homegrown Saskatchewan basketball talent, the upcoming 2021 Tokyo Olympics, the last time she received a technical foul, and much, much more. My name is Dale Richardson, and I'm the host of the Talking 306 podcast, and this is my conversation with Lisa Tomitis. So are you are you in Ontario doing Canada basketball stuff, or, or, or do, uh, do you have a house uh, No, there? my family's all back here, so right. yeah. Just came back for the holidays, but um, yeah, Sask is going to, into big time lockdown. I guess left just in time. Yeah, 
the yeah the Christmas dinners are going to be small. Mm. So my my approach with with podcasts is that um, and and I, I mean I was I was thinking about our about our conversation and I, I thought there's there's so many different things we could talk about and we and we don't have that much time I'm I'm going to be respectful of your time because you uh, you've got other other stuff to do but but most of, well not with most. Uh, with with each of my guests, I I like to go back to to the beginning um, because I know that people like to see the journey that people go on to get you know to get to where they are now and um, and thankfully your family has a interesting story because your your dad is is Greek he he was born in Greece right yeah did your research well it wasn't it wasn't that hard to, I think it was on your Wikipedia page so. <laughs> Um, so he was, I'm going to butcher the name, so I'm, I'm not going to say it, but the, but the town he's from, it's, it's, it's Northern Greece, right? Yeah, uh, kind, yeah. of, kind of Macedonia, right? Very good. Yeah. He, um, Macedonian, I think I had a chance to go back to, to the village, which was really, really interesting when I was playing in Greece. So, yeah, I mean, right on the border with, um, I mean, Yugoslavia really at the time and, um, so yeah, I think most people from that area would say that they're Macedonian, not Greek. Right. Yeah. And My dad was Macedonian more so than Greek and with his siblings and stuff like that. So yeah, pretty cool place where he came from for sure. Lots of history. Right. So he uh does does he identify more more as Macedonian than, than Greek though? Um I would probably with his peers and with his with his family, but you know, certainly I don't think that's as yeah, common or well known as Greek, and I think it's just easier to say he's Greek. So yeah, yeah, right. Um, what what do you know about uh, like when you? I guess how often like like growing up did you did you go go and visit Greece? Like like no. When, um, when did you? Because because I know that you you said you played basketball and yeah, I wanted to uh, talk to you about that briefly. But did sure, you? You didn't, you didn't really travel back to no, see, not see the homeland or anything like that? No, <laughs> it was interesting because, um, yeah, I really didn't have much understanding or knowledge of Greek culture. Um, my mom is Canadian, I mean, British roots. And so she was very much the matriarch of the family. And, um, you know, the, the main decision maker, my dad was not so much so. And, you know, mm. he was kind of on his own here in I grew up in Dundas and he had some siblings in Toronto and um, all of his brothers married Greek women. And so anytime, anything we knew of the Greek culture was from what we, what we learned when we visited our Greek relatives in Toronto. Right. Uh, so that was kind of fun. And then my grandparents, my dad, my dad's parents came over probably, Oh, it just came for a visit one summer. You know, I would have probably been, six or seven years old you know I was very very young when they came over and visited and it was very foreign you know my my grandmother was dressed in all black um because there had been obviously a death in the family at some point and so she, right. that's, that's what she wore like full babushka kind of thing you know and I was like oh my gosh like <laughs> how are we yeah. related to these people because it was just so foreign to me and uh you know they didn't speak a word of English so we couldn't really communicate um yeah, so when I went to went to play in Greece professionally, that's really when I learned much more about the Greek culture and had a much better appreciation for 
um, you know, what went on. So it was great that I had that opportunity to do that. So, so why did your dad come to Canada? Was it for work or, or school or? Yeah, just better opportunities. You know, mm-hmm. um, he came here, I think he was probably 24, 25. Um, he was the first of his family to come over. I guess he'd been trying to get a, a work visa to either go to um, Australia or Canada. And he had been to Germany and had worked a little bit there. Um, and then I guess the visa came through and he was able to come. And obviously there's a huge Greek community in Toronto. There's also a very large Greek community in um, Melbourne, Australia. Mm, so, right. um, it was kind of a choice there. And, and the one from Canada came through first. So he came over basically with nothing. Um, lived with, I think, just some Greek friends, maybe friends from the same village or whatever. Um, and then all but one of his brothers ended up coming afterwards. So that was kind of cool. So there were four brothers, three brothers in Toronto, my dad in Dundas, and then one that stayed back in, uh, in Greece to take care of, of the parents. Wow. So what did, what did your dad do for work? Like I'm, I'm assuming when he arrived, it like, was it kind of the classic story of, you know, various kind of jobs just to kind of make ends meet or like do whatever he, um, yeah. yeah, he was a custodian in a, in a school actually. Yeah. And he, wow. he did that for gosh, I'm not sure how long. Then he met my mom. They got married. My mom had, my mom's a teacher and yeah. uh, she had the idea that they were going to buy a taxi business in Dundas, Ontario. And really? uh, yeah, bizarre. Not sure how she came to that realization or idea so they bought valley taxi in in dundas ontario um moved here in it would have been probably late 60s early 70s and um yeah my dad ran that business and so and my mom also did as well even though she was also a teacher but i mean they were everything kind of the mechanics and the dispatch and the drivers and everything else um and then ended up selling that business and then my dad moved into what all um Greek people do, I guess, at some point is be part of a restaurant business. And he, he was part of two different Greek restaurants in Hamilton and, and kind of just, you know, had his hand in a number of different things. So that was his story. Yeah. Somehow, somehow the restaurant part of that story doesn't, doesn't surprise me. (laughs) (laughs) How did, how did, how did your parents meet? They met at a dance apparently. Wow. Yeah. And another, I guess another classic story from that era, I guess. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I think they just kind of, I don't know. I think my dad spotted my mom from across the room and I don't know how they communicated. Like my dad had, you know, kind of broken English all the way through his adult life even. So at that point when he would have just been here for a few years, I don't know how they would have um, gotten their, their thoughts across, but my mom was much more of a, of a talker. My dad was a lot more of a listener. So I think it worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, and that continued on throughout their lives. I'm assuming. Yeah. To see. Yeah. Totally, totally. My mom was the extrovert. My dad was the introvert. Wow. And your and your mom's a music teacher, or or a, a yeah. teacher yeah. with with a music specialty or something. Yeah, yeah. She taught music um, in elementary school, and uh, I think taught pretty much every grade from kindergarten up to about grade six. Taught in inner city Hamilton for quite a while. Um, hmm. And then retired when she was, you know, mid fifties, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. nice. It's nice to be a teacher because yeah. uh, you can, you can retire in your early fifties. Yeah. yeah, she started really early. I think 
you know, that was, that was when uh, I think they were in need of teachers. So she went to teacher's college and, and was probably teaching by the age of 24, 25, I think right away. Wow. Um, yeah. And then continued on after she retired, she was teaching piano lessons out of, out of the house for a number of years. Wow. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. It's funny too. Um, Cause I had a teacher and when I was in eighth grade, he was, he was an, in, he, he was a student intern. And then our teacher, our full-time teacher that year, she, she was pregnant. So she went on maternity leave and then this guy just basically took over for the rest of the year. And we, we, um, one of my friends who now teaches with him, she was talking to me about it and she said, you know, he, he was 21 when he was teaching that class to you. So yeah, it's all, it's always crazy to think about. Um, and I have many teachers or, or many friends that are teachers and they, you know, thinking back, yeah, they started yeah. teaching high schoolers when they were 23, 24. Yes. Just, it's wild to think about. Oh, for you, sure. For sure. Do you have siblings? I do. I have a younger brother. What's yeah. his name? Chris. And where did, where is he based out of, out of Ontario? Uh, he's in Dundas as well, actually. Um, so he, he went to university at Wilfrid Laurier. He played um, varsity volleyball there and um, ended up becoming a teacher as well. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so, I mean, and this is, it's basically not basically, it's, it's really what you do too. There, there, there seems to be a kind of a pattern in your family of, teaching and, and coaching. Yeah, definitely. So that's interesting. Yeah. My mom would always say that, that we ended up doing, you know, very similar occupations. Um, right. And he would, he coached at, at high school as well, was heavily involved in basketball in in high school. And um, I mean, he's, he's tall also, he's about six, five, he's a pretty good athlete. I mean, we grew up playing so many sports together, you know, like basketball in the driveway, we'd play hockey in the streets like we just did so many things together so sport was a big part of our lives growing up right how come how come you went the sport route instead of the music route which which maybe your mom would have, would have preferred. <laughs> i wasn't as good at it <laughs> oh really my brother's you, definitely a better musician he actually still plays guitar he, he jams with a band he uh yeah he plays a number of different instruments so he definitely has a little bit more of an aptitude for it um, I enjoyed it. I, I love music. It's still a big part of my life, but um, sport certainly was, was where I had a huge interest and um, yeah, just decided to, to go that way. Once I hit high school, I think that was kind of the end of the music part of my life and, and much more invested on, in the sport and athletic side of my life. Yeah, no, that seems to be the path, I guess, you know, looking, looking back just like with me personally, um, I, because I did play basketball growing up. I played, um, you know, like grade four through eight and then a little bit in high school. I didn't, I didn't play senior basketball, but um, there would, you know, I look back as um, uh, cause I was a competitive water skier in my, in my high school years. So, and you know, it's, it's not a guarantee, but I, but I do remember kind of, kind of having to make a decision of, do I want to, do I want to spend my summers water skiing and doing that, all over Canada and, you know, the U S um, or do I want to spend my summers playing basketball and, and getting better? Because if I think about my friends and, and obviously you would agree um, that's when they took their game to another level, they played, you know, junior Huskies or BSI or, sure. you know, those I played on those types of teams. And, and I, I decided 
I'm going to do this kind of weird sport that nobody knows about and <laughs> not play basketball. But yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. So um, you were obviously good at high, uh, playing basketball in high school. If you, if you went to play post-secondary ball at McMaster. So um, I'm, I, I'm assuming like on your high school team, did you guys win uh, championships, city championships and yeah, we did. Don't be too have, modest about it. <laughs> in Ontario, we have um, like regions, you right. know, and uh, so like we'd win our region and then go to provincials. I was really lucky. Like um, in high school, I had female coaches, which I've come to learn are pretty, like that's pretty rare. Um, yeah. Someone for, of my age to have gone through uh, high school and had all female coaching. And then also, you know, some of my best friends, well, a lot of my peer group and friend group um, were great athletes. And so, you know, I was 6'2". I had a really good friend who was about 6'1". And then another one who's 5'10", another one 5'10", who again, at that time, that's a, that's a pretty big lineup. And we just basically played all the sports together. You know, we'd start off the season, we play volleyball, and then we move into basketball. We play soccer in the spring. We did badminton. We did track and field. And it was just you know, what you did. And if you wanted to hang out with your friends, you, that's what you did. You just played one sport and went to the next sport. When is the next season? So that group of us went through together and, and were quite successful, you know, in a, in a number of team sports, I'd say. Um, so that was really cool. But honestly, like playing university basketball was probably more due to the fact that I had great potential. You know, I'm six, two, um, mm even nowadays, there's not too many female athletes with that kind of height. So I don't think I got on the team at the start due to my ability. I think it was more because of my potential. And when I went to McMaster, the year before I got there, um, they had just won bronze at nationals. It was their first um, medal at nationals ever. And there was a just an amazing group of women there. And then a bunch of them had graduated. So when I came in, it was, I mean, a good opportunity. There was a new coach. Um, the former coach had left. And um, really, I think it was just, hey, you can't pass up on 6'2". I remember thinking, you know, I was either going to try out for volleyball or basketball because I was kind of equally adept at both. Um, mm. But what kind of turned me away from volleyball was having to wear the really short, tight shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they still wear those. So. <laughs> yeah. And so I went to, to basketball tryouts and ended up making the team. I mean, back then, recruiting was not what it is now and, and yeah. the way everything works at the, at the varsity level. But I think I was very fortunate, you know, in the right place at the right time and had some good genetics that helped me get. So did you actually, sorry to interrupt you. So did you actually have to try out for, for the university team at yeah. McMaster? Okay, wow. Yeah. So it wasn't, so it literally was no no recruiting at all really you know my high school yeah. coach had talked to the university coach and they kind of knew of me they invited me out to to scrimmage in the summer honestly i was too shy and scared to even go and play i went and watched one time and i was thinking yeah. oh my gosh like i'm nowhere nearly as good as these people and i probably couldn't be on the floor with them so i just watched and um <clears throat> anyway yeah so that was kind of the extent of the recruitment hmm. that's a funny story about the about the volleyball shorts <laughs> Yeah, basketball basketball shorts are much more comfortable. Oh yeah, at that time you know they're baggy. You're you're good. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I mean, obviously McMaster. Um, I mean, your hometown or, or close to it. Um, did you get any 
was there any thought about about going anywhere else besides there? Not really. Um, yeah. You know, I really wanted the kin program there. Um, I had some friends who were a year ahead of me. So yeah, you know, I applied to a number of, of universities, but at the end of the day, just the, um, the idea of possibly playing on the basketball team. Um, I ended up living at home during my, during my years here. So that was appealing at the time. And um, yeah, just kind of being close to friends and family. So it all worked out well. Yeah. Save some money living at home. Totally. Although, although you had probably you had to deal with your parents in university. And <laughs> exactly. Just, just I had my own vehicle, that. So that was a nice trade-off. I was able to come and go as I pleased. My parents were very easygoing. So um, yeah, it was kind of like the best of both worlds. You know, you had people in residence and people living off campus. So I essentially stayed there a good, good portion of the time and, and came home whenever. And my parents were good with that, which was, which made it that much more enjoyable. Right. How do you make the leap from going, because you had a really good career at, at McMaster. Um, I think you're, you're in the hall of fame there now. And you won a bunch of all-star awards and series of things. So obviously think things went well there. Um, so how did, how did you make the leap from, uh, you know, your, was it, was it four years or, or five years when you were at that time? Four? Yeah, I ended up playing five. And okay. it's funny you say that because right now you would think most players come into university and, and just plan to play on using up their five years of eligibility. But at that time, playing a fifth year was kind of like a new and different thing. You know, it wasn't just a given. Uh, right you know, you play four and then it was kind of a big decision to come back, whether you, whether you play for your fifth. And so, yeah, I, pl I played my five. I wasn't ready to leave after four. Um, I felt like, you know, honestly going into my third year, um, we had a new coach and hmm. Teresa Burns, who's, who's currently at McMaster. And my first two years, you know, I, I wasn't really all that invested, you know, I did it and I had some success and I got to play, but it wasn't until Teresa came in my third year that, really sparked something in me to, to want to be good and then to want to be great. So, you know, I felt like I was just kind of getting going that I still had lots left in me um, that I wanted to accomplish. So that's what, what made me come back for my fifth year. Did having a coach like her, uh, uh, did, did it spur not just your, your improvement as a player, but did it kind of get the wheels turning on, on coaching as well? And like in terms of how, how a coach can impact you as a person? Completely, completely. Yeah. You know, I got to see how a great coach operated and the impact that they, they can have on the, the student athletes that they work with. And I was like, okay, this is, this is pretty amazing. And um, I didn't, I didn't think about coaching right away. Cause again, at that time, you know, there's, the coaching profession was very much dominated by long-standing coaches who'd been in their roles for a number of years. Um, and so right. looking at the landscape, you kind of were like, you know, I, I don't see opportunity here, like the opportunity to get in as a, as a head coach at a university, there's so many other more qualified people, you know, when is it a position even going to come open at that point? It was like, you know, coaches kind of, they were either faculty positions that were also profs or they had, um, you know, been hired and, you know, coaches weren't really fired. They weren't turned over. It was like, that's who your coach was. And, and so I didn't really see a whole lot of opportunity there. So I graduated and I ended up working as a kinesiologist in a physiotherapy clinic for about a year and a half. And I, oh. and I stayed on, was an assistant coach at McMaster during that same time. So 
that was cool. I kind of got my feet wet that way and got to see the other side of the game sitting on the bench as a, as an assistant coach and got to see what it was like to have a real job. And I was commuting into Brampton every day. Um, you know, and that was anywhere from 45 to an hour and a half drive there and then do it all over again, coming back. And I was like, Oh, wow, if this is real life. Like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, this is going to yeah. go. This isn't really exciting me too much. And um, it was the summer of 1996 and there was a Olympic qualifying tournament and McMaster happened to be hosting it. And I was part of the, the crew that was helping out and volunteering just to help run it. And I remember watching our Canadian team and that was, that really was impactful on me. Um, I, I noticed that there, there were a number of players that were playing pro and I happened to see that there were a couple of players playing in Greece at the time. And right. You know, I'd, I'd still been playing that year and I was playing with um, some former pros and some former national team athletes and we got an opportunity to go to Brazil and play in a championship there. And so, you know, I was still in the game and still kind of thinking about opportunities. And anyway, one thing led to the next and kind of looked into, you know, some contacts and seeing if I could have an opportunity to go to Greece and play. And one thing led to the next. I went over for like a tryout. They flew me over and I was like, whoa, this is big time. If they're going to fly me to Greece to see if I can play. Um, so, yeah, so I ended up going there and, and playing two years, ended up having a kind of a career ending injury yeah. that and had some struggles. And so then that's what really got me thinking about what I was going to do after playing. Where did you play? Like, was it um, I'd, I'd maybe read maybe this is wrong, but was it, was it near your dad's hometown or, or yeah, it was about oh, really? half away from Mesahori. So it's a, a city called oh. Ptolemaeda and it's West of Thessaloniki. So again, Northern Greece. So that was yeah. pretty amazing. Um, the team had just kind of moved to the first division in the last year. And so they were new. They had a really awesome owner, um, very generous guy, really nice guy, um, took care of the team. Well, we had a really great group of of athletes my first year i lived with um the other foreigner so she was an american from georgia and nice. uh, it it was good in that you know we could speak english and communicate but not great in that you know you didn't really get to experience greek culture you were very insulated you know we kind of hung out and there was another american there so the three of us just kind of did our thing Right. Um, but then the following year I lived with a, a Greek teammate and that was, that made all the difference in the world. I got to meet some people from the city, you know, hang out with um, locals and that, you know, started to learn a little bit of the language. And um, then, like I said, got to, got to visit my, my dad's village, which was really, really cool. And how's your Greek now? Terrible now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess if you're out of it for, you know, even just yeah. a little while, you, 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 it's like a muscle. Completely, right. completely. By by my second year there, you know, I could I could read the alphabet and I could read, you know, signs and could tell what they meant. The yeah. language is actually not that difficult, or I should say the alphabet is not that difficult. Like this letter has this sound, this letter has this sound, and you string them together and that's mm. that's how you know it's not like English. But um I'm terrible speaking any other languages. So I I would be very shy to speak it, but I could I could, I could read it and kind of get the gist and I could listen to conversations and, and kind of understand what they were talking about. Right. And that town I'm, I'm assuming not super touristy based, oh, based on its location. All. Yeah. Not at all. They, uh, the owner of the, of the team was actually, a he owned a construction company and I think he oh. built like highways in Northern Greece. And I think the, 
you know, Patola Maeda, it, I remember driving into the town, they had these like kind of, uh, it was a, not coal burning, but like it was a electrical plant or something, you know, and there was really nothing else there that really drove the economy. There's certainly, like you said, it was not the Greece that you think of when you, when you go on vacation to Greece. No, more industrial or, or in, in, yeah, inner country, I guess. Yeah. So you had the leg injury, right? It was, you broke your leg quite badly. I read. Is that, yeah, is it, the, that, it was a right? knee injury actually. Okay. And, uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, oh, whatever. It's the leg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something bad happened. <laughs> the lower limb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of important so, for playing basketball. So was there, was there any plan, like when you were playing in Greece, was, was there a plan or, or a hope to, to like play on the national team or to come, come back to North yeah. America to, to, to play, play professionally or. Uh, it was an interesting time, you know, our, our national team at that point, um, as I said, 96, they had qualified to go to the Olympics. The majority of the team at that point were longstanding members. You know, they were in their mid thirties, I would say not many younger players because we had no, sort of B team or university team or development team at the time. And so I didn't, you know, I had that, obviously that dream, you know, could I ever possibly play on the national team? But I think the, the realist in me was like, you know, there really isn't a chance to step in and continue to develop and potentially make it. I think I saw myself as, you know, that next tier of athlete, not that, not, national team material, but right underneath there. Um, I thought, you know, if I could keep getting better, maybe, but I just didn't see that as a realistic thing, but mm. I was, re I really was into the, the pro athlete lifestyle. Like it was, even though it was two years, it was so great, you know, to live in a different country and to be immersed in their culture. And um, just that life experience, I think was so, so valuable. I wouldn't have trade, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So, you know, that was, there was no thought of what to do afterwards. You know, I was loving, loving life and was really into that and just wanted to keep doing that. So when I did get injured and, and kind of realized I came back to Canada, I ended up having a surgery that summer um, or sorry, it was before then, but um, at, at one point I came to the realization, like this is, I'm not gonna be able to play the game at the level that I need to be able to play it at or want to be able to play it at. And, you know, you have the surgeons that, that kind of say, you know, if you keep playing, you're probably not going to be walking when you're, you're 50, right. you're going to need a knee replacement. So all those things kind of factored in, but then it was, you know, it was, my world came crashing down. It was, you know, now what am I going to do? And, uh, you know, I remember being home at that point in the spring, just being, wow, like, what do I do next? I have to start looking for a job. Like, what's that all about? Um, and then eventually I heard about the job at Saskatchewan and um, yeah. yeah, I really kind of hesitated applying for that for sure. And needed some, needed some pro. Why? Why? Just, just the, you know, different province. I, I, maybe you'd been um, to Saskatoon, you know, traveling when, when you played for McMaster or something, but. Yeah. I think it was the, you know, the typical female thing where you don't think you're qualified and don't think that you could do the job. And um you know, I'd, I'd had a year and a bit of, of assistant coaching experience, but oh my gosh, there must be so many other people, so many other people that would be more qualified. Not to mention, I'd never been to Saskatchewan. I had no okay. clue about what the team was like, what the school was like. 
So, I mean, I was 25 at the time. Like, what are the chances? Who, who had been the coach there before? I don't like, I'm, I'm, yeah. So this was 97, 98, I guess. Yeah. So I was, I was young. I don't even know who it was. Her name's Tracy Bowie. Um, okay. I believe she was from PEI, had, had been the coach there for a couple years. And prior to, prior to her, Tracy McCara, maybe. Uh, Irene Wallace, those are all names mm. that had come before me for sure. Um, okay. Kind of been there for a year or two and, and then had moved on. So there was definitely a bit of a revolving door that had been happening for a bit. Yeah. Okay. So, so you did apply, obviously. So what, yeah. what, what, what finally compelled you to do it to, to get over your, yeah. you know, um, this, this idea that you, for some reason, couldn't do it or, or you shouldn't do it because yeah. of your, it was gender. a lot of encouragement um, from Teresa at Mac, but also the mm-hmm. athletic director at Mac, Tres Quigley. Um, she, you know, both just amazing role models for me. And I think them just instilling, like, you can do this. Um, it's a good, it's a, it's a great job to step into as a stepping stone, um, you know. And so on the very last day, I sent in my application again, just kind of on a whim, like, uh, I didn't tell anyone I did, didn't tell my parents, didn't, you know, didn't, didn't speak a word of it, just kind of like, let's see what happens here. And uh, ended up getting a call back. So yeah, bizarre. Yeah, that, that, yeah, classic story. I've, you know, I've, on my podcast, I've talked to so many people that, you know, obviously not, you know, the the same situation, but uh, very, it's a common thing where people just they either apply for a job or they do something that they didn't think that they would be doing, or they did something last minute and they, they, you know, kind of just put their hat in the ring and then, yeah. and then they get it and, and, and they have either long careers doing it or they're very good at doing whatever they're doing. So, yeah. so what was, what was the state of the, of the women's program at that time? Cause okay. I, 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 I feel like the men's program, I talked to Ryan Lear for okay. my podcast Cool. and I couldn't find what what the what the what the record what the yeah. the season records each year for the women's team where I, I looked, but, well, but when I talked to but when I talked to Ryan, and I think he played it kind of like around the same time that you were starting as the yeah. coach, he played for the men's team. Men's team was horrible. They yeah. went like one in six seventeen one year, like just dreadful. Yeah. But how was the women's team at that point? Um, I think like the three years prior to me starting the team had won a combined four games <laughs> combined. so not good so we've had like alumni come on and and talk to our players saying you know like they were winless or they they won once and i i find it so interesting because you know my first question to them is you know how did you keep going yeah. how, how do you keep playing how do you show up to the gym to practice when you know you know you have no chance of of winning or at least it's it's highly unlikely i mean even my first couple of years i mean I, I think our first year we we won four games so we equaled the same amount as the last three years combined but right even in that year i remember talking to jackie about the same thing and i think it's a sign of you know the the type of mindset that you need to have to be an elite player and she would say you know i always believed we were going to win i just i always believed we were going to win this is uh, uh, Jackie uh, Lavalley. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, I think just when you're in a situation like that, there's 
definitely different motivators for, for why you play, why you stay involved. Um, I know I couldn't do it. I know in my first few years, you know, we won four games and thinking, you know, playing against the UVICs and the UBCs and the Calgary's going, how are we, how are we ever going to beat these teams? Like we don't have a snowball's chance in hell. Um, right. You know, we don't have the athletes. We, how are we ever going to get the athletes? Like how's in, why is anyone ever going to want to come here? And uh, I remember thinking like, man, if this goes on very long, like if, if we don't show some improvement or promise, like I can't do this, it's, it's way too tough to lose all the time. Right. So what was, what was, what was the leap or like, what was the kind of the turning point? I, Cause you started 98. Yeah. And, and by the way, I found a photo of you and uh, oh, Greg God. Jockums from when you were, I, I was 98 his first season too. Yes. I said that's blackmail material that picture <laughs> you know so, the one I'm talking about oh totally totally it pops up <laughs> in, in places I don't want to see it um I remember that day too because I think literally I just arrived it was about a week after I arrived in Saskatoon and it was we were we were over in the uh uh ESL building the Williams building because the the yeah. gym had been condemned and so all of the athletics offices were over there and I remember someone saying, okay, well, you just, you got to come down. We're, they're doing, someone from the Sheaf is coming over and they just want to get a picture of you and Greg. And I don't think I even had a Husky Athletics shirt by then. And so someone gave me this shirt and it, I think it looked yeah. massive on me. I've got it. Yeah, it, it does look short big. Shorts. Oh <laughs> my gosh. And like, I was just shell shocked. I didn't, I barely knew who Greg was. So anyway, Greg was kind of like the hometown boy, the, the hero that was returning to Saskatoon. And I was like this no name 25 year old that arrived from Ontario and was going to take over this program. And so that was, that was his first year as well though. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We started together. So that was pretty, that was pretty fun. We talk a lot about back in the day and what it was like and how far the programs have come. No kidding. Yeah. So, so where I was getting with that, uh, yeah, that the, the photo just popped into my head and I could, I could share it on here, but oh, thank you. I, I will for sure post it on social media when I, when, when this episode goes. No, <laughs> I need to uh, delete that from the virtual world. No, that's not happening. Um, <laughs> where I was getting to with that was what was, what happened for you guys to make, make the jump? Because I don't like the, you said the first few seasons were, were a bit rough, but so 2006 was when you guys won the, won the first Canada West title, at least that I can remember. Yep. And then really since, I mean, since 2006, your teams have at least all always been in the mix, at least in Canada West. So what, what was, I guess, maybe 2006, for you isn't isn't kind of the kind of the starting point. Maybe it's a couple of years previous to that. But what was sure. what? How did you guys? How did your teams make the leap from yeah. being bottom of the standings uh, to to the contenders? Did did you get just just those those top athletes that you needed? Or well, it was interesting because you know even though the team had barely won any games when I arrived, some of the players that we had that first year were actually some pretty phenomenal athletes and phenomenal people. So again, like a Jackie Lavalley who's on the team, who ended up being national team point guard for a few years, played professionally, um, right. was not Canadian in soccer and in basketball. She would have been in her third year. Allie Fairbrother, who probably could have been on our national hockey team, our national basketball team. I've, I've rarely encountered an athlete 
like her in my day. Um, Claire Dore, Carla Pitts, you know, like a number of really solid players. I remember getting there and going, you know what, like we have some good athletes. There's some good players. We didn't have a critical mass, but there were probably four or five players that could really ball for lack of a better word. And um, the other thing that they brought to the table was an incredible work ethic and desire to be coached and improve. They worked their tails off. And, you know, for me coming in, it's not like I knew a whole heck of a lot, but I knew we were going to have to work our butts off um, and, and be as prepared as we possibly could be. And I think that really started my approach to coaching around, you know, what if, if we're not going to be the most talented, how are we going to outsmart opponents and how can we be, better in certain areas? How can we do little things here and there that are really going to maximize what we have? And so, you know, we steadily started to improve because of, because of these players and we were able to recruit a few good athletes early on. Um, And again, just that steady improvement, but really what turned the tide for us was um, getting two phenomenal players in the same recruiting class um, it couldn't have been more different from one another um, in terms of their background, in terms of their, their basketball background. Uh, and that was, that was Sarah Crooks and Ashley Duchak. Right. And um, they came in 2002. So really, you know, just a few years into, into my coaching career, they arrived on the scene and, and Sarah, you know, her, her story is probably fairly well known, but um, came from Fife Lake family yeah. of, of 12 kids you know, really didn't know the game at all when she arrived on campus. You just knew she was this really raw athlete. And when you got to know her and and you got her into our program, you realized just how freaking competitive she was as an individual. And again, this unbelievable drive to be excellent in at basketball and, and her, where she took her game. And again, went on to play professionally, played in our national team. Um, It was just, she was such a phenomenal story. And at the same time coming in was Ashley Duchak and Ashley um, had roots in Saskatchewan actually has family here, but she came from Calgary and uh, she's an interesting one because she was already committed to go to a Div one university in the States. But the summer before her first year, the coach was fired. And so there was a new coach coming in who didn't really know her. I think the, the same promise for, you know, what type of role she'd be playing there didn't, hold up and we ended up getting her late just again super lucky and um really those and so it was those two and then soon after uh was you know amy lackey so amy prokop kara lackey you know karen fraser Lee porter and and a number of players who again were starting to emerge on the scene and that was it i remember you know, after the 2000, I remember the 2005, 2006 season, and it was pretty much um, pretty miraculous that we won Can West. We beat, you know, Simon Fraser team and a UBC team who were ranked one and two in the country all year long. And um, we put together this amazing game at the right time and went to nationals being ranked number one and really feeling like after that year, um, you know, the following year was going to be Sarah and Ashley's last year thinking, how will we ever possibly be able to replicate this kind of success again because these two players were just amazing and how are we ever going to um see that happen again how are we ever going to attract that level of athlete and anyway i was very stressed about that whole 
incredible year trying to, to make sure that we did as well as we could. And, and um, anyway, for, for whatever reason we've been able to, you know, again, very cliche, like um, success breeds success and, and more people then started knowing about our program. We started getting stronger in Saskatchewan. We started getting some more local players that could play at this level and, and then attracted some, um, some transfers from other parts of Canada and, yeah, and, and the rest is kind of history. We've, like you said, since 2006, um, I think we've been to nationals 12 out of 14 years. So we're pretty much, you know, a top five team in the country every year since. So that's been oh, at least pretty probably special. top three. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, that 2006 year, it's interesting that, that you say that you were, you were anxious about it, um, you know, for the, for the years to come after that. Because so my, my, so I graduated high school in 2006. Okay. Um, so my friends like, well, Jill Humbert, yes, that class I know was, was a good one. Cause you also got Kim Tullock yes. from Regina. And then I think, I think you guys made the national championship the one year with, yes. with that crew, but, uh, but, but for sure one, another Canada West and yeah, as you, as you say, it, it just kept going. So yeah, one, one of the questions I was going to ask you was about homegrown talent. Mm-hmm. And how um, you know I'm I'm assuming that, and this this would go for the uh, for for the men's team as well. Uh, I'm I'm assuming that that there has always been local players, you know, either in Saskatoon, Regina, or you know, some of the uh, smaller communities in the province that have that have played played for the Huskies. But um, like you say that when Amy, well. Sarah Crooks, she was from, from Fife Lake. So, I mean, that's a, that's a great example, but, and you said Amy Prokop and Kara Lackey, I mean, they went, they went to Aiden Bowman. Yeah. Was it, was it that, like, what, what was it about, um, like players like those had, had always been there, I'm assuming, or, you know, it was similar to them, but how were you guys able, I guess, to, to recruit them or, or to figure out that these, these are, uh, these are national caliber players, and if, if they could play at the UFC or at you know McMaster or mm-hmm. or you know wherever, but do you kind of get what I'm asking there about? Yeah, the you know, and, yeah. local players are always going to be at the top of our priority list. Like if we could have a team entirely of players from Saskatoon, that would be amazing. That just there's there's something about players from our province that again they don't typically come into the program and they're not going to come in in first year and dominate and yeah. now that I said that proving me wrong in that regard but what typically happens is they come in with such a strong work ethic and desire to be great and toughness that by their third year they're they're the stars right and so for us to be able to constantly have that um, a steady stream of, of local talent would be optimal. I mean, we're a city of less than 250,000 people. There's no other place in Canada that can, that can boast that, right? Like such a small city to be able to have such success is really remarkable. And you, so, you know, you're always going to have to bolster your, your roster with people from elsewhere. That's just, that's yeah. the case. Um, but certainly, you know, that group that you just spoke about with like Jill Humbert and Kim Tullock, and we had Mary Hipperson at the time and right. Lackey, um, and then we had some people from other parts of Canada, but 
if you can, you, you need to always have that local talent. And I, I just think they really understand our culture. I think um, it's really important for the community to have those locals to rally behind. I think there's just so many important things, I think, um, that go along with, with local talent. And I think with some of the success that our team has had, I think it has inspired some, some younger women to want to get into the sport. And I remember when I first came, every single athlete in high school, female athlete that was six feet or taller was already identified by Volleyball Canada and was part right. of the Volleyball Canada Junior National Program. And it would frustrate me to all end because, you know, I was like, why aren't these girls playing basketball? Like, we look at these athletes out here playing volleyball. There has to be more than enough to go around. So we've been able to see, you know, with our Junior Husky Program, you know, being able to develop the, the high school-aged female basketball player and really to try to get them ready to play play for us at the, at the university level because it's such a huge jump. Um, and the yeah. skill level is so high. Junior Huskies, I think, has been huge. Uh, at least, at least it was when I lived in Saskatoon. Because, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Like when my friends were, I don't think Junior Huskies was really a thing uh, until I was in high school. Correct. Because uh, because BSI was always kind of the the thing. And then yeah. I remember my my buddies playing ju- Junior Huskies, and yeah, you're right. That was like a you know, because your uh, either, like the men's and women's players were the coaches on those teams, right? Yes. So they played for those people, and like my buddies were very excited of of the possibility, at least of you know, I maybe I could play with this person or that person, or yes. be coached by Greg Jockums or or you or totally. whatever, right? So yeah, totally. oh, that's yeah, interesting. Just um, you know, having that connection with the community to have, to be able to touch the lives of so many young women, whether they're high school age or even younger, get them, you know, familiar with our program, with our players, just, I think the stronger those connections and those community bonds are, um, you, you see it. I mean, we had a sold out gymnasium playing for the Canada West championship, you know, where else in this country are you going to see, 2,500 people packing a, a gym to come watch women's basketball. It just doesn't happen. So we, you know, we're so fortunate to have the community backing that we do. So it's, you know, it's really key for us to give back um, any chance we get because we do recognize how, how great we do have it. You know, we're in a very privileged position. <laughs> um, yeah. we're very fortunate. And, and we've got to do our part to, to make sure that we're giving back and, and upholding our end of the bargain too. So part of part of coaching is coaching your other coaches. I'm I'm assuming, and something I think about uh, quite often is, um, and because I'm friends with her, um, so y- you went on sabbatical in twenty. What season was that? Twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, or yep, yeah. And you appointed Jill Humbert as as the interim coach for that year. Yes, and I always think about it because. Jill would have been 20, just like 23 or 24, same age as when, as when you started coaching yes. the Huskies. And I always thought that, boy, what a, what a, like, what a year for, for her to be given, given that, um, you know, show of, show of support by you and the team and the, and the entire community. So I guess my question on that is how do you, um, what would, 
and you don't need to go too in depth in it, but I guess, how did you decide that I'm going to give the reins to, because I think Jill had coached a little bit, right? But not, yeah. certainly never a head coach of, you know, yeah. you know CIS level uh, uh, players. So yeah. how, how did you get to, to that position where you said, I'm going to, I'm going to give her the reins for the year? For sure. I mean, um, yeah, Jill had been on at that point, the most successful team we'd ever put together. She got to a national championship final, um, you know, one Canada West championship. She was our uh, award winner for again, community and, and um, academic and athletic excellence. And so she, and then she helped help coach for a year before I went on my sabbatical and uh, she'd coached in her junior Husky program. She was our point guard. Her, her understanding of the game was at a very high level. Um, I think, you know, Jill, I always, <laughs> what I admire in Jill is she has, she has such a great, um, I guess, way about her. She's got, she's very confident Um and you need to be that you cannot lack confidence if you're going to step into that kind of role. So that was a big part of it. And again, obviously her basketball acumen comes from a strong basketball family, um, yeah. family of coaches, you know, Paul has been so big in the basketball community in Saskatoon through his camps. And so, you know, Jill's learned from, from him and has that great experience. And then I think the most important thing though, is that we knew we were going to have great people support her. So Ali Fairbrother and Jackie LaValley, who'd been coaching at that time for about 15 years with me, uh, or a little bit less, but we knew that they were still going to be around in an assistant coach role, and um, but weren't able to do it as a full-time gig. And so we thought, what better opportunity? You know, she's going to have that support. She's going to have that, that um, presence and stability and consistency in terms of, you know, them being there from, from day one, and they can help support her in that role. But um, but really wanted her to take it on and 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 see what she could do with the opportunity and knew that she'd do a great job with it. So um, yeah, it took a lot of courage on her part. Um, I can tell you, it is way more stressful watching games than actually sitting on the bench and and coaching them. There was not one game that right. that I missed um, watching them oh. on the webcast and texting her after the games and and at the same time not trying to step on her toes too much and, and have too much control. I wanted this to be her experience and her learning. And um, so it was, uh, it, it was uh, an exciting year and, and stressful at the same time. But like I said, she did an awesome job. Yeah. You're so right. It is. It is. Yeah. I don't, I can't remember when I last watched. Oh, I think a couple of years ago, I went to watch the Cougars play the Huskies here, here in Regina. And I, I I've been kind of outside of, like the the college basketball scene for for a while, and I didn't really know many of the players, but yeah, yeah it's it's so nerve wracking. I used to get so nervous watching high school games. Growing up, I was a nervous wreck as a little kid. I would go and watch Aiden <laughs> Bowman play, and oh, I'd just be so nervous. But <laughs> what did you do on that on that year on your sabbatical? Did you did you go? Did you travel oh, somewhere? Or, I ended up moving back to Ontario. My mom had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Oh, okay. Um, and the, it was it was quite a heck of a year because um, she was diagnosed in October, I believe it was. Came back and, and spent the year with her, and in December was when the national team head coach stepped down, and I ended up getting hired as senior national team head coach in right. January or something like that. And that's when it was like, whoa, my world just changed huge. Um, yeah. 
so I was really focused on that and and then obviously coming back into the husky scene and and doing two jobs and helping out my mom and family and stuff like that but it was it was a gift you know it was great to be able to be back here and and to support her and and be around family you know it had been a well, 15 years since I started, and I really hadn't had that much time back here. So it was great to be able to to be around, and um, I would have had nieces at the time. So it was just, it was a fun year. It was really good. Right. Uh, why don't we talk about the national team a little bit, and, yes. and we'll we'll wrap up soon, because uh, we're getting, getting close to the hour. But um, the we could, I mean, we could talk so much about about the X's and O's, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm sure you can tell I, I'm, I'm more interested in like the leadership kind of sure. you know, actual coaching, you know, coaching people as opposed to, you know, drawing up plays on your, on your little whiteboard. Um, the question I have about, about coaching a national team and I guess like kind of like the next level up um, what, I mean, obviously, you know, it's elite talent going from the university level to the, to the world, you know, to the, to the, uh, to the international level for the players mm-hmm. that you coach. But um, is it, cause I heard Steve Nash, he was interviewed somewhere and, and he said that the big, the biggest difference or the biggest gap between the people that are great and the people that are, that are the best is speed of thought. That just speed of thought when you're on the court playing. So is that, is that the biggest, you know, going back to the, you know, to the big jump with the, you know, with the Huskies from when you started to when they, when you guys started winning Canada West titles, what's the biggest jump going from, let's say like a university level to, to national team beyond like obvious, you know, consistent, consistently just good at playing basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of aside from the physical yeah. talents and abilities. Um, I think it's, it's this, mental toughness really and resiliency because um, a number of our players have, have been at this for a long time um, and their ability to, you know, again, work and perfect their craft year after year um, quite often in settings where they are responsible to do it on their own. They mm-hmm. move halfway across the world to again, perfect their their craft and um, get better individually to be able to then come back and get together as a national team and, and, and represent Canada. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, Their capacity for work is tremendous. Um, And I think it's just, again, the ones who have been with us for extended period of time, it's, it's the character. um, It's their, their passion to play for Canada, to represent Canada. And, and it's that um, unbelievable toughness to just keep working at it and keep getting better. Um, I would say those, those are the biggest determinants and separators. How do you, how do you sift that out? Because let's say that there's a top, top 50 women Mm -hmm. players in Canada. Um, And I went through the, through the current national team roster you know, kind of about half, uh, or at least, or nearly all of them play pro ball somewhere. Yeah. A couple, yeah. couple in the, in the WNBA, a couple, yep. uh, many overseas, but how do you, how do you narrow it down to the, like to those 12? Is it, is it just, just watching hours and hours of tape of them and, 
watching them in person, obviously, and, and coaching. I mean, obviously, you've coached many of them over the years, but how do you, how do you ultimately get down to the to the twelve people that are gonna mm-hmm. gonna be playing at the Olympics? You know, I think that's what you just said right there. It's it's spending a lot of time with them because yeah. it is. If you just watch film, you just get to see them as a as a player and what they bring physically or to the court. Um, but at the top top level, it's the it's all of those other intangibles and what they bring to the table to make the best team. So it's it's the character piece, it's the toughness piece, it's how they how they make their teammates better. Um, it's the accountability piece. Like there's so many other things that go into it. So if all you do is evaluate game film, you're going to come up with a certain list, but when you spend time uh, together, you, you really see the ones that are going to make the best team um, and how you can, how they kind of fit together. Right. So we've been very fortunate, you know, over the years that we have had lots of training time together. Um, It's never as much as, as coaches would want, but um, you know, for some of these athletes, you know, I've known them, for over 10 years right others we've you know again we try to build connection and and gain an understanding for who these people are or who who these athletes are as people um as much as possible so when we when we are together even if it is a short amount of time part of our value system and what we do value is creating an environment where we do um, have authentic connections and being able to again see see people in that kind of environment and how they interact and and what kind of connections we can build as a group so those are really important themes for us um, in terms of evaluating you know players and how they're going to fit within our system and within the 12 so it's a it's a tough process yeah because you'll you'll have some people that are strong in some realms and some that are a little bit weaker and need to grow in those areas and we try to help grow them so that uh you know there's a, there's a good fit. Is part of that growth dealing with um, failure? Cause this is one of the things I was, I was thinking about with, with basketball and with coaching basketball, I think <clears throat> maybe there's another one, but basketball, I think it, it entails the most amount of consistent moments of failure where uh, at least on the court, because more than 50% of the time, unless you are an excellent shooter, you, you are going to miss the majority of the shots you take. There's constant fouls. The ball goes out of bounds when you want to keep it in bounds. Uh, you know, the, and, and, and of course, all of that happens within 24 seconds that one team has the ball. Yeah. Yeah. So is that part of it? Uh, definitely. You know, um, your ability to remain in the moment and to be able to let those things go and not impact what's going to happen next is a, is a huge part of it. Um, being able to maintain focus and not get distracted by those mistakes or what, what are perceived as mistakes. Uh, you know, being able to carry out a game plan, being able to, as you, as you mentioned already, um, being able to make decisions in split seconds. Um is just yeah it's it's unbelievable what these individuals are able to do in the heat of the moment and um so th- those are all play very big parts in it um your ability to communicate your abil- ability to um you know like i said stay in the moment but bounce back um whether it be from a loss or a bad quarter or a bad shift um again that resiliency is is super important so um 
yeah, there's a lot of things that factor in, that's for sure. Because again, when you get to the best of the best and you're talking, you know, Olympians and performance at Olympic Games and meddling in the Olympics, um, the difference between individual athletes on a physical sense it becomes very, very small. And what right. separates the good from the great and the great from the greatest are um, typically what goes on inside their head and, and right. how they're able to manage a lot of these things in the heat of the moment. Well, we could, that was, that was the last kind of deep coaching uh, <laughs> thing that I wanted to ask you, but uh, cool. yeah, boy, that's, that's very interesting to me. So um, the, just the last kind of thing I, I wanted to ask you about, or, or just talk about was, um, was this past year and, you know, with the Olympics being canceled, obviously I'm, I'm sure that was a, a, maybe not a disappointment, but something that was unexpected. And now you have to Mm-hmm. push push things back another year just on, on that do do you guys expect the olympics to go forward this this summer i uh, i haven't seen any we news do. From, the, from the coc about that we yeah. do i think if you asked me six months ago i would have said probably 50 50 but right. um as of right now there's a ton of indication that this is this is happening and we've been preparing almost all along that this has been happening like you said you know back in march uh, we got the news that Olympics weren't going to take place this past summer. Um, we were always hopeful it was going to be just a postponement as opposed to a cancellation. And so that's how we wrapped our heads around it. Um, we let our athletes kind of just chill on their own for a couple months. They were doing a lot of at-home workouts and and doing what they could on their own to to maintain their their fitness and strength and things like that. And, and really since um, July, August, we've been meeting on a regular basis and uh, going through a number of different items, whether they be technical items, whether they be social, emotional things, leadership stuff. Um, we're, we're really fortunate. Most of our athletes, well, all of our athletes, I'd say other than a couple that are dealing with some injuries are playing. So we had a number in the WNBA. Right. We've got a bunch who are over in Europe right now, and then a few in the NC2A. So they're all playing competitively right now, which is an amazing um, advantage for us because if, you know, if, if any of these leagues have been canceled, we'd be um, really scratching our heads, I think, as far as how we could get better physically. So uh, yeah, so seems like it's all systems go. I think Japan is the best place to, to host the Olympics after a pandemic, you know, they're going to be more than prepared with the, with the news of vaccines and vaccinations already happening i think you know we're just going to continue to um you know move forward and and things will continue to look even brighter even in a couple months time yeah well well good luck um i think yeah based based on the results of the of the past few FIBA tournaments you guys have been in i think i think things are looking very promising so yeah thanks dale yeah we're uh, yeah. we're ranked fourth in the world right now and uh right. You know, we're trying to break through. The goal is is to medal in Tokyo, so it'll be a um, monumental challenge and opportunity for us that we're we're chomping at the bit to to get to. Right. Wow. Um, two two really small things, and then we'll go. <laughs> no worries. Um, when was the last time you got teed up in a game? <laughs> oh, it's been a while. Uh, yeah, I think you're, you're not super. No, you're not too up in arms very often. Not too much. Um, you know, I think I've only had two in my career. And 
One was at Brandon University and probably would have been about 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I don't even think I didn't use profanity. I think I asked a question, but um, mm. yeah, for whatever reason, I think I might have actually got a technical in a junior Husky club tournament at the U of R from like a, a high school age official. Oh. <laughs> so those might have been my two. You know, I, I, I ref basketball when I was in high school and I, and I loved it. And, and I, it's always kind of in the back of my head that I should, should pick it up again. Cause I really enjoyed it. I don't know. And I didn't do it when I was in high school. I don't know if I would be giving out technicals to coaches like you just on a, on a whim. I have to say, I don't, I have the utmost respect. I would never want that job in a million years to be an official with people and and yelling at you all the time like they have an unenviable job so i try to keep that in mind and know that they're they're giving their best uh the and then the next thing was um i brought this idea forward to i think amy prokop a number of years ago she she worked for husky athletics maybe after she was done playing i always thought that that a great idea would be to have and it would be a preseason game probably but but to have a throwback like a, like a retro night, not at the pack, but at the education gym. Yes. And the teams wear, you know, like the, you know, mid late nineties Huskies <laughs> uniforms and, uh, and, and have it at the education gym. And I thought that was just the best idea. And I think Prokop liked it, but I didn't see anything happen about it. I think so maybe, maybe you can, maybe you can advance that forward. Oh, for sure. I think we'd have a hard time convincing the current athletes to do that, but what we should do is have our alumni weekend and have our alumni yeah. decked out in the retro stuff and playing at the education gym. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Cause I, I, I loved watching games in that gym when I was growing oh, up. So fun. Yeah. They had, <laughs> they had, they had the, you know, city championships there obviously as, as well. So, um, anyway, do you, do you see yourself moving on from the U of S any, anytime soon? You know, now that, now that you've, you know, slayed the dragon of, you know, winning a couple of national championships and maybe, maybe you can go to, you know, Fraser Valley <laughs> university and turn that program around. There won't be any other U sport teams that I'll be going to. That's for sure. Um, really? as long as I'm coaching university, it'll be at the university of Saskatchewan. I think, uh, you know, the support that we have, um, student athletes I get to work with, it's, it's second to none. I would, uh, yeah, wouldn't be looking to go anywhere. I mean, we just opened up a, a brand new practice facility last year. And so right. again, the facilities that we have and, and the resources we have are just world-class. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm going to be. Well, well, that's, that's good news for people in <laughs> thanks, Saskatoon. Thanks. Anyway, thanks so much for doing this. Um, my pleasure. Great, great to talk to you and, and to, uh, I guess, kind of formally meet you in, in, in person and, uh, and yeah, th- thanks for the, uh, for everything that you provide to, to people on in the campus community and to Saskatoon. Yeah. You, you've been, I know very important to, to friends of mine as, as we talked about. So oh, I'm, nice. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you are going, going to stick around and keep doing that for other players that are, that are coming up and, uh, and 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 good luck this summer in the Olympics. We will be, we will be cheering for you and the team. Awesome! Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to to share some of my journey. You bet. Okay. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Dale. Take care. Hey, you too.
That's it for this episode of the Talking 306 Podcast. Thanks so much to Coach Lisa Tomitis for joining me for this episode. And good luck to her and the Canadian women at the Tokyo Olympics in summer 2021. Thanks to Connexus for supporting the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. And thanks to Path Cowork for sponsoring the Talking 306 Podcast. That's it for this episode. See you next time.